Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, potpourri. Potpourri, that's what I'd like to start off with. P-O-T-P-O-U-R-R-I. Um, there are two definitions, um, a mixture of dried petals and spices placed in a bowl or a small sack to perfume clothing or a room. Now, the definition that I want to use is a mixture of things, a mixture of things. It goes on to say, especially a musical or literary medley but I want to hold on to this idea of a mixture of things, potpourri. Um, I thought about starting the season off. We're starting off with season six for February. I have been quiet for a month. January, I went dark, I like to say. Quiet, thank you to those of you who um, kept this project going by listening. Uh, We only had one day where there was... No activity, I think. Uh, or just a few days of that. So that was really cool to see that people were still listening during the break. And um, so there are a couple of there are a few things that I wanted to talk about. Like if I would hit the record button yesterday, the starting point would have been the tax, the tax, and I was going to talk about the tax of being an intuitive, the tax of being bivocational, and the tax of um, being committed to self-actualization. So there were three taxes that I had on my brain, and I wanted to talk to you about that. And then some news came in yesterday that Part of me wants to say I've been dreading as though I kind of knew it was coming. Um, I was hoping that it wasn't coming, and so it came. And so we are back again confronting a life-or-death situation. Um, Somebody very close to me just got a diagnosis of cancer, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to process this out loud in this project Um, I just don't know if I can do it you guys Um, but I mean I don't I don't know Um, I don't know but anyway that is sending me right back to this thing that I've just gotten out of, like grieving that we are mortal beings. We have a start date and an end date. And that's something that's real. But when you are in a season where that end date is happening pretty consistently, you know, you like to think that the end date is in this far distance. And I know I'm older. I'll be 52 in a few months. Um, But man, so it's just making me really think about life and grieving mortality and being confused. So that's what's on me today. 
because of the news I got yesterday. So I don't know. So I'm going to call this a potpourri. We're just going to move about and a mixture of things. So, hey, welcome back. I'm sorry. I'm not as like, ah, as I had planned to be. So it is what it is. So this is a personal journal. So if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I'm processing my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Um, there are a couple other things I want to say politically. We can't get into that now, but I will say that this project is unedited and is unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, please feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Boom. Under five minutes. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, potpourri. A mixture of things. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall into a rabbit hole, and I need that. I need to fall into a rabbit hole, you guys. I need to know what I'm having a hard time determining what's important to me right now. I mean, you guys can imagine that, right? And again, my apologies, because for those of you who've been waiting for me to come back, you probably didn't want, you know, come back to some bad news. My sister said last night, this is not how I thought I would be starting my year off. And so... The news isn't related to her, by the way, but it impacts her all the same. It impacts us all the same. So that's all I'm going to say to that. But, so my apologies that I'm not, like, like I just, I, my apologies. That's all I can say. But trying to keep with the spirit of this project, it is, kind of is what it is. This is what I'm doing. I'm processing my inner, my outer world, so... Um, unfortunately, I've got a number of experiences now like this where I see myself as a pattern. How do I handle what, who am I? What, how existentially, what am I like when I get that kind of news? There's a pattern in me and the pattern is I am Speechless. There's a lot happening for me internally. I know there's a lot in there. I know there's a lot of organizing going on, a lot of meaning making. I couldn't tell you what that is. I especially couldn't do it yesterday. And so maybe maybe the fact that I can get on and hit the record button, maybe that there mean that means there's some movement. There's some breaking apart. You know, I think about the big blob. Everything is just kind of pushed together inside of me and I you know I wouldn't have been able I couldn't talk yesterday so I worked and a couple of people at work didn't know the details of it, but they knew they knew I had some pretty bad news because um, a family member had to go to a hosp- the hospital on Monday Monday or Tuesday and um, and so me giving saying there's some bad news they can kind of put two and two together but I could not tell them and they were like don't you want to take off work like nope 
No, I don't want to take off work. What am I going to do? Seriously. Um, so, um, I can go and sit with the person who got that news, but that person was with someone in a kind of an intimate space, so I wanted to respect that space. And so I went later um, when I got off work, and that felt good. Went last night. And I offered to come back and spend a night, and and it's just, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, I I worked and got the news roughly about two o'clock yesterday, and I had a one of I had a meeting. I was at a meeting from one to four, and I got the news at about two o'clock yesterday, and I got back on that. I went off. Got back on that Zoom call. Had a moment. I said, I got to push through. The person was looking at me. I was like, I know this is odd. I have to push through this. I need to keep working. So I've had pockets of work. I'm going to, I'm not taking today off. I thought about taking today off, but I'm like, why? I got up this morning. I did a little work. I'm like, why? I I mean, why? What am I going to do? Sit around and cry? Sit around and sit in fear? I don't, what am I going to do? So, the individual that is, that has the diagnosis, um, has to go to the hospital to do some more testing. And so, yeah, I'll do that. But I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to just sit around and do nothing. So, I'm just not going to do that. So, as you guys know, I've talked about this in the past. I do a fast at the beginning of every year from my adult beverages. I did an episode where I was telling y'all all my business and my relationship with adult beverages. I love adult beverages, but I also I love independence, and I never want anything to control me. So, every year, I take myself through a cleanse and... um demonstrate, you know, who's in control, <laughs> if you will. Um, and I did that fast last year. I, I ended it short. It kept short because of the, when they placed me, that the, the job I was in, it placed me um, as principal. And I think I did that so I did the fast at the start of the new year. And they placed me as the principal at the start of February. And I think by March I ended the fast. I usually like to take that fast about two to three months. So, but anyway, yesterday the pain was so excruciating from the news that I got. And you know, I just, I wanted some escapism. I wanted to have a glass of wine, a shot of tequila. I'm a tequila girl. I like wine, but I'm a tequila girl. Um, And I was like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. 
Anyway, I talked to my sister last night, and I was like, oh, I, really, I said, this is tough. I'm not, you know, I'm going to honor the fast. And my sister was like, well, I'm going to have your wine for you then. I'll do a glass or two for you. I'm like, okay, you you drink my wine. <laughs> so there's that. So y'all keep me lifted up in um, prayer. I just really want to, I just want to hold tight. That's what I want to do. So a mixture of things. So there's that. Um, and so I don't really know all of what's in me that's going to come out. But I will say this morning, I, you know, there's some grief happening and I feel a little selfish because I just got to a place where I wasn't walking around in grief because of my dad. You know, there was my grandmother, then there was my stepfather. There were a couple of people in between that, but those were closest so my grandmother, my stepfather, then my dad, and then my aunt. Damn it. Damn it. And um I'm sorry, you guys, give me a second. This didn't happen with my grandmother or my stepfather. I mean, there was a toll. Like when these when these deaths that come that are very intimate. It has a, it's life changing for you. But there was something about my dad's passing and then his sister. And they were so close together. It was hard to separate it. But I was really struggling with this thing called life. What the hell is it? What is this thing that we're doing in this, this body? We have this body and we're walking around and we're, we're soul and we're spirit. And I've even been thinking about that. What is soul and spirit? How do you differentiate that? Either way, however you define it, there is an internal world that we have. And it's an, and we are encased in a body. Sometimes our minds break down before our bodies break down. Sometimes our bodies break down and our minds don't. My uncle passed away in 2021. The beginning, my dad passed at the end of 2021. My uncle, I didn't mention that. It was my aunt's husband. That was a big one too. With him, he had dementia. And so... That was a different kind of dying and grief, you know, because he didn't, wasn't aware of it. But with my grandmother and my dad, they knew it. They were front confronting it in this very brave way. And when my aunt passed, she passed in her sleep. We didn't know she was sick. And I was the one who had to go and see her body like that. And I sat with her body for about three hours. An hour and a half of that time, I was by myself with her body in the room, waiting for them to come and pick up the body. And then my mom came to support me in that process. 
very thankful. So, so I've been walking around really struggling with this thing called life. Like, what is it <laughs> when it's just it can just disappear? And the scientist in me really struggles with this idea of heaven and afterlife. You know, but, you know, of course, I want to believe. I want to believe that there's something more. Because this thing is brutal. What are we doing? And we go to work every day and we act like that's real. We buy clothes and cars. And we act like this is real. This is not real. This is an illusion. As though it is real. I literally feel that way. And I was so excited because... That's how I ended 2022. Like, okay, I can start thinking again about the future and planning. And that's what I like, right? I was having, I couldn't do that for a long time after my dad died. I was going through the motions of a lot, but I was just doing day-to-day -day stuff. And there was an episode I did last year. I can't remember. It was sometime in the fall. Maybe October-ish. And I was like, I actually woke up with a goals. I haven't talked about goals in a long time. Could not think of goals. Do you know how crushing that is for me as an INTJ? How destabilizing that is. So to end the year thinking about goals, you guys heard me talking about it. You know, and talking about writing a story and all of that. And I have. I've been, I've created a strategy for 2023. I just, 2023, I've been really in a good space. And every, I would say not every, but several times, more than several times, periodically I would check in and like, you're feeling too good. And I would, something would remind me about like the limit. Ness. Limity. I heard that word the other day. I got to look it up. Limity. I'll look it up right now, actually. Oh. Of life. And I would say, you know, that that hopefulness and feeling good. And there was air periodically something would hit me and go, yeah, but you something in back can happen. And I would say, well, I gotta live though. It is a word. Limity is a word, you guys. Let me read the definition for you. I just looked it up. Oh, it doesn't look. Hold on a second. Okay, I don't think so. I don't know if that's the word. It looks like that's a word in a different language and limit in this coming up to be translated so there was a podcast I listened to yesterday morning which was really good um, it was just talking about when you have a vocation and the calling and that a lot of times that vocation is revealed in the second half of life and it even talked about 
how we, when you age and you have to confront aging and the limitness of life with the pursuit of a vocation. And that was something I listened to before I got the news. So, anyway, I'll come back and unpack that. But the word, there was a word that they, they used. thought it was limited, but I'll have to look it up and come back and let you guys know. But we, for me, it's just like, I'm just really worried and feeling guilty. Like, feeling selfish. Like, like what do you do? Uh, what do you do? Do I do? What do I do? Do I just do business as usual? Do I go about my life? Like, yep, this is part of life, and I'm just going to live my life and as much as I can while I can. Or do I stop? And both of those options feel shitty. They don't feel ideal. Doesn't feel ideal to stop in this limited life to stop living and stop trying to grow. It doesn't feel good to stop, but it definitely doesn't feel good to keep going. So, I don't really know. But, there's that. I want to tell you about um, an exchange I had online. It was a very brief exchange, but it's something that has been staying, it's been kind of looping in my head. It'd be interesting to see if this connects, if it connects to this thing I'm pondering about life again. Here I am. How am I going to push past that? Or am I going to, it's going to take me two years to get back to a place where I can think about the future and plan for the future and not be afraid of life. And it's not even about being afraid of death, it's about being afraid of life. Isn't that interesting? To not be afraid of death, but to be afraid of life. That's interesting. So anyway, so we'll see if that this thing, this conversation connects at all. It may not, but we'll see. So I got introduced to a new YouTuber. I believe, yeah, I believe over my January dark time. I don't think I was introduced to this guy before January. I don't think. But if I if I was, it was just right before a break. But anyway, I really I really like him. Like him. I'm gonna be a little careful because he he made a commitment on one of his videos that he was gonna respond to every comment and he hasn't responded to one of my comments. And so I'm like, huh. Oh, you gonna that's how we gonna do it. <laughs> but then I'm trying to tell myself, yo, really, this this man doesn't have to respond to every comment. But anyway. Well don't say you're gonna do it if you're not gonna do it. How about that? Anyway, um he is an INTJ and I think he's a man of color. 
And sometimes when you don't, when a person of a, of color doesn't identify as of color or doesn't identify their ethnicity, they don't want somebody else to do it. So I wonder if that's problematic. So anyway, I think he is, but he may not be. And some people might think, what difference does it make? But it makes a difference for me as an INTJ interacting in a dominant culture. And not many typologists know how to look at typology through the lens of being minoritized. Minoritized is when that dominant group makes you the minority. But here's the sucky thing. The dominant group doesn't want to say, I'm minoritizing you. But it does when it says the minority group, the people of color, like, we're really the part of the global majority. Of color. Why are we called a minority when we're the majority? But we're minoritized by the dominant group. That's how it works. So when you are minoritized, how does typology function within that? And so, I was excited to see that. Now, he may not touch it. Because I believe that there are, I think many people in the type community don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about race. I look at my episodes on race. Those are the least played episodes. Also, okay, that's fine. I think I need to do a better job. See, here's where I struggle with that in terms of trying to build followership, which is one of the reasons why I don't prioritize building a community because I want to maintain an authenticity to this project. So I could start putting this, putting my podcast in front of people who are here for conversations around race, but those people don't really know typology and I'm not interested in removing type theory from my conversation. So to find a pocket of people who both who are comfortable talking about race and people who are talking comfortable talking about typology narrows my window or shortens or you know yeah narrows my window or shortens it you understand. So I was excited to see I think he's a man of color and I was excited. He's good. He's good. I love his take on INTJness. I love his take. I love his affect. He, he shows up a little differently than other people on YouTube who profess to be INTJs. And I don't say professes. I don't believe it. But so, uh, but he may not touch it because to touch race is to now, unfortunately, alienate people, exclude people who don't want to talk about race because it makes them uncomfortable. And, uh, but that's, that's this thing. That's just an interesting thing. We have to check off race on these applications, job applications, medical applications. People, when they say, oh, there was a black guy, there was a white guy. But we're, but we aren't supposed to identify race. When we talk about it, the dominant group does not like it. I'm broad sweeping it because I know many people in the dominant group that um, people who are comfortable with talking about race. Those are people that I associate with. Um, 
yeah, I don't interact with, with the dominant, anybody in the dominant group if I can't talk about race. But here's the flip side of that. I don't limit myself to talking about race. So I have some people in my life at the job. This girl told me this week I have been palling around with white folks. This chick keeps giving me one indictment after another. And then has the and has the audacity to say I don't like her. It is it is quite bizarre. Part of me wonders is she doing those indictments because she's so used to people not liking her that she's kinda like antagonizing the situation. I, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable to me. But that's what she told me this week. She told me that a couple of days ago. You've been palling around with white people. I said, well, you've rejected me. <laughs> what do you want me to do? You haven't wanted to be in community with me, my fellow black woman, friend, colleague. So what do you want me to do? Be without community? That's weird. That's weird. But anyway, I say that to you all because I do have white friends. And I have black friends. And I have friends from other ethnic groups. I am not limiting myself to just a racial identity. It took me a long time to identify race in this project. I didn't start identifying in this project race until I would say the beginning, you know, about six months into it, maybe. Definitely wasn't in the first few months. And so that's why I say I identify, and what I identify with as first is important. I identify as an IEDJ8. And I also identify as an African-American woman. And I go through this list. Now, is that a ranking for me? I don't know. I do know INDJ8 is my primary identity. That is the identity. And if you, when you talk about an identity stack, that's my number one identity. And this is, you know, and I've talked about this in other episodes when people say you're not supposed to identify with your type. Well, we all have an identity. I'm not going to identify with my gender first. Not identify. I can't say I'm a mom. I don't really want to identify with my occupation. I used to identify with my occupation first. Don't want to do that. So you don't get, you don't tell me what I can and can't identify with. But the spirit of that comment about not identifying with your type, ultimately it means don't get stuck there because that's just a framework you're more than your four letters and I've actually been thinking about I'm working with several INTJs so I'm just looking at the variance between us it's dangerous if you just limit yourself to those four letters because it does not allow for a conversation or consciousness around variance. So, INTJ8 works for me. 
but also works for me to talk about the trauma that I'm I'm surviving and with other people who are surviving it. I had a talk with my boss, my supervisor yesterday about class and how class provides a variance to race. We talk about class, excuse me, we talk about race, then we'll talk about gender. Like there's a, I had a, on my primary podcast, I had a guest that came on and she said, I'm black first. I'm not female. I'm not woman first. I'm black first. And I want to be seen as woman first. But I understand why. Because, because of how we treat gender in our, in our society, women, when you think women, you think white women, but when you think black, you think black men. Look at the news. Look at when we talk about issues. Women, when we, when we start talking about issues relating to women, statistically, those issues are related to white women. When we start talking about issues related to black people, statistically, those issues are related to black men. So as a black woman, <laughs> both of those identities are real for me. But you also have to factor in class, especially in, in the professional realm that I'm in. And I'm moving, I don't have, a th- and I partly wonder if this is what's going on with this this young lady who's just, I, I don't come from the, her class and there are other people I don't, I'm not moving about that way. Oh, well. Oh, well. That's not, I'm, I'm, I'm so not where I was back when I really had to first confront her. I'm like, if you, this your loss. You missed out. You missed out on somebody who could have been a big cheerleader and a supporter for you. You're lost. But anyway. Anyway, so this INTJ guy on YouTube, uh, who I think is a man of color, may not ever talk about that. And this is prerogative. Like, his affect is different. He shows a variance to the... And he talks about INTJ-ness in, in a way that's different from this traditional ways INTJ-ness is explored. But you guys know I often say, I think most people when they talk about INTJs, I think they're talking about INTJ-5s. They don't fact, they don't really talk about INTJ-7s. INTJ, what's the number? INTJ-1s. INTJ-8s. So, I like them. Anyway, so we talked about um, one of his episodes, they talked about not being an INTJ. No, no, excuse me. Excuse me. INTJs are not masterminds. I, he was like, INTJs are not masterminds. I was like, what? <laughs> so I listened to it a couple of times. and I really don't think he made a, a really good argument. I think he made some, he made an argument, but not really about the mastermind. Just how other people stereotype us as mastermind, I think is a better. But I think when you look at what we do, the I are in and with our intuitive thinking function together, I think there's masterminding. So I responded. I did a YouTube response. 
and I talked about capital M mastermind, lowercase m mastermind. Go check that out on YouTube. I think the name of that YouTube video I did is, I think I said, yes, INTJs are mastermind. So that's on that, on YouTube. Go check it out. But anyway, some guy, some person, I think it was a guy, responded to my comment saying, I think you're taking this too seriously. Uh, and I didn't even, I didn't even really explore that. I'm just like, okay, too seriously. What are you, what are you measuring that? Like, what is the standard of seriousness? To say too seriously means I'm being more serious than the situation calls for. So what's the standard of seriousness is what I wanted to know. I, I mean, I just genuinely wanted to know the, the standard by which we were talking before I respond. And I think he, the person eventually came back and just said, I usually don't take things that are not fact-based. I can't remember. He started talking about facts. And I wanted to lean in because I'm thinking, and I, it may have been a woman, but I'm going to say he because that it may have been a woman, but I think it was a man. Well, it doesn't matter the person, but I'm going to say he. There's those pronouns. By the way, I did finally revise the pronouns for the book. <laughs> I made that decision and I got that done. <laughs> so anyway, um, the book is just waiting to be. Um, it's all formatted. Um, the proofs are already. They're waiting for me to approve it. And I'm changing my name, so I, I, I hold a PhD. So then instead of the person putting my name with my my degrees, my letters at the end of my name, they put me down as the author as Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nope, I don't want to be um, referred. I don't want that to, I don't want to say doctor. I just want you to have, I want you to read it and know that the author holds a PhD. <laughs> you don't have to say doctor. But you just need to know how to PhD, so that has to be revised. Um, so we're we're really at the final stages. This is the hard part. When I went through this with my first book and with my dissertation, you keep feeling like you're finished, and then there's this small technical thing that needs to be revised. Then we got to do this. We have to do that. So it's not done until it's done. <laughs> so anyway, so I wanted to let you know I did those pronouns for those of you who listened to the last few episodes for. December, because I kept saying, I gotta fix the pronouns. That was tedious, but I got it done. But yeah, so what is the standard by which you're me- measuring seriousness? And he starts talking about facts. And I, I, as a constructivist, I identify as a constructivist, I can challenge this notion of a fact. Most most facts are not facts. Most facts are interpreted as facts. But I was like, am I going to waste my time responding to this account? Because that would be taking it too serious for me. Like, you have not added any value to my life by saying you're taking it too serious. That was for you. And more than likely, that was an emotional comment. More than likely, it was something that I said that was that irritated the individual or confused the uh, individual or exhausted the individual instead of dealing with that emotion they projected it onto me and said you're taking this too seriously so I just was like okay what's the standard 
I can't even, I didn't, I did not. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyway, but I did think later about this idea of, of this type community. And so those of us who are really on our journeys for self-actualizing in this thing called life, what are we doing with the type theory? Why do we listen to content on typology? Is it masturbatory? I always say that. Are you just doing it because it's just analytically fun? And it's like a, analytically a challenge to see if you can type people. And some people, some people are into type theory for that reason. But some of us are into type theory because it helps us to grow. It helps us to be better human. It helps us to better maximize on this very limited thing called life. A very limited yet turbulent thing called life. And we use type theory to do that. And that is serious to me. And if it's not serious to you, yeah, okay. But it is serious to me. Because while I'm in this limited, turbulent thing called life, I'd like to maximize it as much as possible. Some people maximize it because they feel like they have the answer for heaven. And while I'm conflicted on this idea of heaven, I'd like to believe that there is. But this is where the whole heaven theory falls apart for me. When we start borrowing tenets, the politics from this earthly realm, and we assign the politics that we are familiar with, the politics that we've had to create to coexist in this physical, social world. And when we assign and transfer that to heaven, it's where I am no longer interested in this thing that you call heaven. I am not interested in going to a place where there's another hierarchy. There's another dominant group. There's, there, there's another space where there are privileges and disadvantages. Now, if that's what it is, that's what it is. Who am I? Who am I? Other than just give you my opinion, my heart, my heart's desire. So for me, self-actualizing is about, it is a divine assignment for me. It is something that's connected to a God or a non-earthly entity. I feel I was given an opportunity to be in this dimension, in this life, and I want to maximize and do the most that I can do. I want to be responsible. I don't want to just go to work every day and there's the toilet paper and then just get my large bundles of toilet paper. I don't want to do that. I want to maximize life. I want to maximize who I am in this world. I want to make a contribution. I don't know what else is out there. But I want to be responsible for what I do know. And typology helps me to do it. And I'm not interested in engaging in anybody who doesn't value that. And, and, and I'm okay if you don't value it. It's not my business. See, when I was functioning 
as an as an imposter, as a type one imposter, I would have felt it was my business to tell you the right way to think about typology. I don't care how you think about it. Here's what I care about: my time and what I'm doing with it, and how I how I invite people into my space to engage with me. So there's that. And then I want to talk about one other thing, and I'm going to close. I want to talk about the tax on the in, the intuitive tax. What I just talked about would be what I would call the, the living tax, the responsibility of being the most that we're supposed to be while we're living, this thing called life, in its limited, turbulent way. Beautiful, though. Rewarding, fulfilling, but it is limited. Did I say limitless? It's not limitless. Our spirits, I hope, are. The soul, I'm not sure. I definitely believe the. I definitely believe not in a rational way, but I definitely believe in an irrational way that our spirits continue because our spirit, the world is spiritual. Life, I believe, plants, animals. The stars, I believe all of that is spiritual. And we connect to this thing in a spiritual way. I think we continue. I don't know what happens with the soul. I don't know what I want to happen with the soul. Do I want my INTJ self to live off in an infinite, in, in infinity? I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to be stuck in the INTJ orientation in infinity. <laughs> I like it at all. I don't know. And that's what, to me, the soul would do. The soul is connected to that INTJ, that ego. And that ego is connected to my INTJ-ness, my ain'tness. I don't know. And I don't need to know right now. I don't have a need to know. <laughs> so. So there's that. There's a tax on self-actualizing. In this, the, the life tax and self-actualizing in it. When we don't really know what's beyond it. That's a tax. And then the other tax, there are three taxes, but the, the other tax I'll talk about is, um, and I'll close here. Uh, what is that tax? I'm sorry. Oh, the intuitive tax. And so as I was, um, you know, just realizing, like, this is, this, this is going to be a very hard pill to swallow. This is going to be a very tough journey for me. For me. And being selfish is not about me. But then there's a part that is about me. As I go through this journey with this individual. I'm going to be going through it alone. And I can't begrudge that because I've made choices to not have people in my life. I didn't, I did not choose to be alone, but I did choose to not have certain people in my life. That, that is a choice I made. And so as I was confronting that aloneness last night, as I, after I visited with the person yesterday and I came home to my house by myself, my aunt called and was like, you know, I'm alone. Other people in their house have spouses and kids to be with. I, out of all the people that got the news yesterday, I'm the only one that's alone. 
I think my, I have an aunt that's, uh, I don't know if they told her yet. So anyway, what does that mean to be alone? I would love some human touch, human companionship, human process. I would love that. I'm not going to lie about it. But when I think about the people that I've removed from my life, I know why I removed them. When I think about people who've tried to come into my life and I'm like, nope, I know why I said no. All of the people that I have removed are all censors. And it didn't really, it didn't really occur to me until this morning. I didn't think about that last night. I was like, that person, oh, that's a censor. That's a censor. Those are about five censors. So as I was going through this liberatory phase in my life of being more authentically me, because as an intuitive, I was mimicking censor. I was functioning as a censor or trying to. I was striving. That's a better way of saying it. I was striving to be a censor. Because that's the model that was around me. My mom is a censor. My grandmama was a censor. My sister's a censor. I, I get confused with my dad. Um, I get confused on that one. I don't know. But the majority, the people around me are all censors. I don't think, I think the only, the only other intuitive I know for a fact, um, is a cousin of mine who is 27 and then my oldest niece. I know, um, she's 22, she'll be 23. So when you think about how the com, the, the tension between a sensor and an intuitive, and we already are minorities. Sensors are minorities. At 25%. And then I'm an introverted intuitive. So I'm at 4%. My sensor family didn't know what to do with me. And they felt that I... And then we're in this trauma space. And I'm seeing the trauma at a level that they can't see. They don't want to see it. Through my intuitive lens. So... No, but I was I was striving to be a censor. That was the standard for me. That was the goal. Those are the things I was striving for. And sometimes I think about this toilet paper thing, this house that I'm in. I'm thinking about why? Why am I focused on that? maintaining a house? Is that an intuitive thing to do? Yeah, I got to live somewhere. I wish I'd be. I mean, yeah, that's a separate conversation. But that's what I've been thinking about. So anyway, these people that I love, these friends that I had, I was being judged constantly about how, if I was making good decisions all around, they were all sensor-based decisions. So I was being advised and counseled on how to be better. And when did I get support? If I was going through something... I would only, you know, you get it support and reaffirmed when you're making sensor-based decisions, when you're making sensor-based comments. And if I didn't make sensor-based comments, then I was redirected, I was judged, I was challenged, I was questioned. That's fine. But to have that consistently, and then I started going through this phase in my 40s where I was like owning me, celebrating me. And that 
And no, you're not going to problematize me because I'm not functioning as you want me to. So, those are the people. Those are all censors. Those are all censors, all of those friends. I love them to pieces. And I'm probably going to reach out to them. I haven't talked to a lot of them. Probably going to reach out to them, let them, letting them know what's going on. But, I, I part of me gets nervous because I'm like, well, I don't want to bring that back into my life where I have to not be, or I'm not going to be affirmed for no longer pursuing a censor life. No longer upholding and prioritizing censor-based values, censor-based priorities. So bringing them back into my life, what is going to change? Yes, we love each other, but you don't know how to support me as a censor. And if I ask you to study the system, you're probably going to do a very sensory. You know what I need to do? That's what I should do. Connect with people in the type world who are really into typology, who are censors. And ask them, what is it about typology that, that draws them to it? Maybe that'll help me to figure out how to better connect with some sensors in my life. That's like, it's not a bad project. So, but it's a tax and I'm gearing to live it. And I just think all of the people that I would have called as I'm going through this, they're all gone. This, the, all day yesterday, I kept thinking, I need to call my grandmother. I need to tell my granny. I need to tell my dad, even my stepfather. And that they're, you know, they're not, they were, well, my dad may have been intuitive, intuitive, but my stepfather and my grandmother were not, but they supported me. They supported me in my quote unquote weird intuitiveness. I can't call any of them now. So my sister last night said, well, you could still talk to them. Yeah, but <laughs> so anyway, the intuitive tax. And so I'm going to wrap up here, you guys. I can't afford to go back into that space where I'm really disconnected from life. I've got to press on as I do this journey um, with this individual. I've got to press on and maximize what I have, the time I have left in an authentic way, in a meaningful way so I can self-actualize. And I, I continue to talk about part of that is building community that support me as I truly am and will support and celebrate me as I truly am as an intuitive. And I just come from a culture, a world that doesn't, I mean, it's, I think it's even more difficult 
when you're black and you're an intuitive than when you're white and you're an intuitive. That's my theory. That's my, it's more than a wondering. That's my belief. So, this life is limited. It's turbulent, but it's beautiful. It's full of possibilities. And we have an opportunity, I believe spiritually, we have an obligation to actualize, self-actualize, and confront for whatever reason, that's what this journey is about. Why are we here? Like, what is this thing about? This limited thing, what is its purpose? This thing that starts and ends. What is the purpose? And what are we going to do while we're here? You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this talk about Life and the, its limitedness and our obligation within it and how much we take it serious to whatever we commit to with this limited thing of life. However we frame it, however we value it, what do we do with it and why? That's How serious are we to it? Are we just going to be mindlessly moving about, going to work every day, paying our bills every week? doing the same thing over, over and over and over again? Or are we going to be mindful? There's a start, there's a stop, and what do you do with the in-between to be committed to growth and actualizing and being our best selves? What are we going to do? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean? If this conversation connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share with those participants. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at youreanidom.wordpress.com On Twitter, youreanidom1. Facebook and YouTube, youreanidom. Go check out those uh, YouTube because I uploaded three videos. One is on Challenging this idea that, yes, we are masterminds, INTJs. There's another one that is on um, INTJs as intelligent and confident. And then there's another one on typing. There's a young lady on Facebook who talked about uh, being typed in a way differently than she was typing herself. And she was having a lot of consternation about, what's the? I'm typing myself this way, one way. There's a professional that's typing me in a way that, doesn't resonate with me. So I responded to that. She's an ISFP. And so, well, there are three videos I uploaded this week. So go check them out. You're NIDOM. Let me give you your assignment. As I hit the pause button and I close my eyes to meditate on what the assignment would be that would give you what came to me was in the in-between and beyond the in-between that stop and that start, excuse me, the start and the stop, thinking about what that means. What does that mean for you between the start and the stop? What does it mean to you? What does that mean to you? What are you going to do with that? And you say it. You say, this is what it means to me. This is what I'm going to do with it. And how serious are you going to be to it? And then beyond. 
is there beyond? Is there something beyond the start and stop? And I'll, what does that mean to you? And how serious are you going to be to that thing? So I can name this episode Start, Stop, and Beyond. Or I can name it What Does It Mean and What Are You Going to Do About It? I'm not sure. I like both of those. Start, Stop, and Beyond. And what do you, what does it mean and what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I don't know which one I'm going to use. <laughs> but that's your assignment. What does it mean? And what are you going to do about it? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.